Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's Message of the Week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. Today we have the privilege of listening to an amazing speaker. Uh, Ms. Trina Pocket is here this morning. Good morning, Labor Day crowd. Yes, it's so good to be with you. The ones who stay behind, the remnant as it were, yes? Well, the idea of the theme that we're in and the idea of this message actually was downloaded into me by the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. I'll get to that story in a bit. But our series you can see is one mission and our title this morning i'm calling well i'm not going to tell you what it's called i'm going to give you a hint first what are you thinking mission impossible and i'm not talking about the tom cruise movie mission impossible I'm talking about the real Mission Impossible. Yeah, going back to 1966 to 1973. But our mission is not impossible. Our mission is possible. Because of the one who called us to mission, the one and only, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us, who's delivered us, who's set us free from the sin and bondage and death that we were destined for and given us new life. Amen? He's put us on a journey together. Eventually, we're going to end up being with him. But for right now, we get to spend our time together in journey with one another as we're in one mission, and we're not on an impossible mission, but a possible mission. But first, a little history about Mission Impossible. All right. How many are excited about that? All right. We're so excited. Well, I was a definite fan of Mission Impossible. And I'm pretty certain that because I was a fan of Mission Impossible, it created in me my love for the thriller spy genre novel. Yeah, oh, I heard a yelp. Mm hmm, yep. Probably some of you think I'm just sinful to read those, but that's okay. It's, it's, I'm working through a big Tom Clancy right now, tome. But my first spy novel, I'm sure, was The Iger Sanction, written by a, an author with the pen name Trevanian. And the Iger Sanction was turned into a movie. Some of you probably, well, let me just be real. Probably nobody in here besides me read the book. But you may have seen the movie. It starred Clint Eastwood. Yes, make our day. I got to watch Clint Eastwood get his PhD, his honorary PhD, for a movie production and acting career at University of the Pacific in Stockton. It's called UOP. My family referred to it, my wife and I, as UO Plenty. Um, it was known as University of the Pacific, and when my son, oldest son graduated from there, Clint Eastwood was getting his honorary doctorate, so that's cool. Anyway, back to Mission Impossible. For those of us that are too young to remember the show, or maybe just don't even care about it if you saw it, but there was always an opening scene of a cassette tape or some sort of little tape containing the mission description, and the cassette destroyed itself within five or sometimes ten seconds after it was heard. 
Some of you are ca catching the picture. And the overdub would say, this tape will self-destruct in five, or sometimes, actually there were some episodes it was 10 seconds, or occasionally 10 seconds. But here's a fun fact. Turns out the word self-destruct, as that form, self-destruct, didn't exist until Mission Impossible. What? You can look it up. It's true. So you've all been affected by Mission Impossible, even if I've already lost you in my introduction. So I'm here today to encourage us in our mission. I don't know if you have been like me. Maybe you're new following Jesus. Maybe you're just searching and you've not accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you've been on a journey with Him for a long time. But for me, very often, the mission seemed impossible. Daunting at the very least, but sometimes just flat impossible. So I think we need a different look at mission, and that's what I'm going to help us with today, a, a different way to understand mission and to create, a, as we get a better understanding, to, to create an enthusiasm for one mission, for a possible mission that Jesus has called us to. But to look at that, we're going to look at our missional notification, the need, and the nature. Okay? And yes, there's a fly buzzing around me. I think it's one of those box flies, as I call them, that has a pattern in your... Do you know what I'm talking about? And you would think that when they follow that same pattern, you could sneak up on them and, and swat them. But as soon as you get close to them, they swoop away. Yeah? All right, well, I think that's what's going on here, but it was here last night. This is evidently its territory it, here today, last service, this service. Try to ignore the fly. It's hard for me to ignore. So, sure, Greg, you just mentioned it. It's out there on video now. Great. So, the missional components are notification, need, and nature, and the notification and the need are very much inseparable. And we're going to talk about those pretty quickly, and we're going to spend more time on the nature of our mission. Back to the old Mission Impossible series, team leader Jim Phelps, played by Peter Graves. I don't know if you knew this, but that was James Arness's brother. Some of us go way back to Gunsmoke, right? That was special for you. I didn't share that in any other, so there you go. He received notification of the mission as well as an explanation of the need for the mission. The notification and the description of the mission came via that soon-to-be self-destructed tape. But the invitation on the tape was, your mission, should you choose to accept it, will be... So that's my question for us. This morning, can we look at the mission that Jesus has calling us to differently? Can we listen to the Holy Spirit? And even if we've been daunted in the past or if we thought that it was impossible, can we open up our minds a little bit through the Holy Spirit to believe that the mission is possible and we will accept it. So they always accepted the mission on the show. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a show, right? Even if it was impossible, they accepted it anyway. So I'm just asking you to accept a mission that is possible, not impossible. So we find our notification from Jesus in chapter 9 of Matthew when the disciples were put on notice. Here we go. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless 
like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. My summary of this is that Jesus was moved by compassion among groups of people in the bondage of sin and all that comes with it, unable to help or deliver themselves and needing someone to care for them and guide them back to health and safety, like a shepherd tending the needs of his sheep. Read that one more time. It's not up on a slide. Jesus was moved by compassion among groups of people who were in the bondage of sin and all that comes with it, unable to help or deliver themselves and needing someone to care for them and guide them back to health and safety like a shepherd tending to the needs of his sheep. So the notification of the need that Jesus gave points to both the nature of the need and the nature of those who will meet the need. But since the workers are few and the harvest of those needing restoration back to the Father is huge, we need to think differently about the nature of the harvest and the workers. God's priority is people. And we are to pray for workers. The workers and the harvest, catch this, the workers and the harvest are the same stuff. I don't know if when you've read those verses in the past, I know the context that Jesus said it in, and I know it should be obvious to me, but when I have read those verses Every time I've read them, I don't see the field as being populated with people. I see the field like I would imagine a field. And I know Jesus isn't talking about harvesting wheat. He's talking about harvesting people. So what's unique about the harvest, you don't see wheat harvesting wheat. What's unique about the harvest is we have people harvesting people. And what... And what is the harvest like? Well, they're people. What are the conditions of the people? They're harassed. And here are some words that you might relate to. Exhausted, fatigued, worn out. They're helpless, defenseless. They're like, as it were, paralyzed. They're powerless to do anything about their circumstance. They're diseased and sick. They need healing and wholeness. And what he did as he went through the crowds and healed and delivered, he shared the message of God's love. They need God's love. Jesus is the good news. He brought the good news to people needing the good news. I, I, I probably offended some people in the last two services, and I know I may do it this time. Nobody reacted. Nobody told me later that they were offended, so maybe they weren't. But anyway, here we go. I know we love our pets. And I know we love our cars and our possessions because we use that word love. But God loves people. God loves people. He loves all creation, of course, but his priority is people and restoring them back to himself. People just like us here today. People needing a savior to deliver them from sin and give them a hope, a new way of living no longer enslaved by sin, as the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. And for this, I'm going to read really fast. So can you listen fast? Listen fast. Okay, beginning in Romans 7, verse 14, on through the beginning of chapter 8. And when Paul wrote this, there weren't chapters and verses, but that helps us. We know that the law is spiritual, and there's no slide, just listen fast. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. 
but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. There's a lot of want to's and not want to. Yeah. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I think Flip Wilson used to sort of say that when he would say, the devil made me do it. Yeah. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he answers his own question. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. But here we go, the verses that some of us know. There is there, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen to that. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son, which we celebrated this morning, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Whew. Did you catch most of that? That's basically the end of Romans chapter 7 and beginning of chapter 8. Praise Jesus. So let's remember the context of Matthew 9, 38 through 30, uh, 35 through 38. It helps us understand Jesus' metaphor of the harvest. In Jesus' day, catch this, the harvest of wheat, for example, was handled by many workers, each harvesting small amounts by today's standards with simple tools. No agribusiness, no combines, no complex business models or machines. There were lots of people working together to bring in a harvest to sustain them and fill them with joy and thanksgiving for God's provision. Small plots of land, simple tools, shared effort, shared reward, lots of gratitude. Amen? Do you have a different picture of what Jesus is calling us to participate in? It's not overwhelming. It's not huge. It's not daunting. Yes, there are many people who need to follow Jesus. There are many people who need to understand God's love. But each of us has an influence over a small group of people. And here's the cool thing. The harvest is small groups of people combining into large groups of people, harvested by small groups of people combining into large groups of people. It's not complicated. The harvest is small groups of people combining into large groups of people, harvested by small groups of people combining into large groups of people. It's really quite that simple. Now, the people that Jesus moved among that were the religious leaders of his day, they didn't see it that way. 
And Jesus often had strong words for the leaders because they had made the harvest of bringing others to God complicated, difficult, burdensome. Yeah. And so in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 4, let me read. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The reason I'm sharing that is because there's an implication of that in another place in Matthew that actually comes before what I just shared with you. And this is coming up on a slide, and this is Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It's one of my very favorite passages. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. So the weariness and the burden was being hinted at there, at least in part because of the way that, that the leaders had put these burdens on the people. But we're also burdened with a whole lot of other burdens. The sin, our, our sin nature, as we read from Paul. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And how many of you have ever read those words and said, yeah, right? <laughs> Can we be honest about that? Yeah, Really? Jesus, I know what you went through. Jesus, I know how they treated you. We're well aware of how you were beaten and hung on a cross. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, maybe there's something about that that I don't understand. So let me help us all understand something about this. First of all, you have to envision a yoke. That's the thing that an oxen... An ox, that would be singular. That's the thing that an ox would wear to drag the plow, essentially. It was the burden bearer on the ox. And there's a legend, and I know these legends preach well, but I'm going to go ahead and use it, and I don't know how well it'll preach, but, but there's a legend. I read it in here. There's a legend. Jesus was a carpenter. That's not legend. That, that's true. We, again, our image of carpentry isn't the kind of carpenter that Jesus was. He wasn't out framing houses. Okay? He wasn't a roofer. He didn't put up drywall. But he was a carpenter. And he was most likely like a furniture maker or a, a, a building implements of wood. And the legend goes that outside of Jesus' carpenter shop, there was a sign that said, my yokes fit well. So that maybe, if people knew him, he might have been actually referring to an actual yoke, that he knew what he was talking about. But at least, metaphorically, he clearly understands what he's talking about when he talks about his yoke being easy. And the word easy is a word that, in Greek, it sounds like Christos, like Jesus Christos, like Jesus Christ. But it's not Christos. It's only one letter difference. It's Christos. Christos, Christos. And Christos, in this application, really means well-fitted or comfortable. 
Now, the burdens that the Pharisees put on were not comfortable. The restrictions that we sometimes put on each other, not comfortable. The reason that I often felt inadequate in my role as a pastor and as a school teacher was because there were things placed upon me that made me feel uncomfortable. Not that my whole life is lived in comfort, not that your whole life should be lived in comfort either. There are things that we do that are uncomfortable that challenge us, of course. But the picture here is how, an, how a yoke was fit to an ox. The farmer would bring the ox to the carpenter. The carpenter would rough out the yoke. And then, once he had the rough shape carved out, then the ox would come back, the farmer would bring the ox back, and it would be custom-fitted to the ox. So what Jesus is saying here is, I have custom-fit my calling to you. Yeah? Now, I used to see this in a different light, and this is equally valid, but I love the one that I discovered as I was looking this time. I used to see this as a team of oxen carrying a shared yoke, and Jesus is right there with me as the other ox, so to speak. Equally valid. But I really like this one. I really like that Jesus uses us just as we are, as we yield to Him, and He changes us to be more like Himself, more like Jesus, more of the character of Him, that as we, as He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Aren't you glad that we're, we don't have to live by a series of laws and regulations that we could never live up to, as Paul said, because even what I want to do, I fail at, so I'm always full of guilt, and I don't get anything done because I'm just stuck in this pool of guilt. Jesus says, if you'll do it my way, I will show you how you can fully function in the harvest. The harvest doesn't have to be daunting. It doesn't have to be impossible. It's possible. So as we think about being on mission, a possible doable mission, consider what he has ultimately called all of us to do. And we learn what he simply and ultimately has called all of us to do from Mark 12, 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Huh. That seems pretty simple to me. Does that seem pretty simple to you? Well, at least in form it's simple. Have you been challenged loving other people? Of course you have. Of course you have. But I'm still going to help us with that. Because yes, loving others is challenging. Loving me is challenging. Loving you is challenging. It's not always easy, but it is simple in its 
call. Love the Lord your God, love others. So, recently, and I started by saying this whole thing came to me several weeks ago, and I'm going to give you the, the, the situation. I was in a circumstance with some former co-workers, and by the way, in all of my career as a pastor, I've been what we call bivocational. Let me give you a simple definition of bivocational. Working two jobs. Okay? And here's the cause for working two jobs. Because the church you pastor is too small to support you financially. There it is, boiled down. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. And so all of my career, for about 30 plus years, as, as a pastor, more than that now, but for my 30 years as a pastor, I always had other jobs. Grocery clerk, guy who traveled out in the woods hauling wire rope and explosives. That was cool. Um, got to blow up some things, too. Um, chainsaw mechanic, uh, plywood mill worker. That was kind of before, but done all sorts of things. But for, for the time that I was a pastor, I was a school teacher and taught elementary school. And so here's the scenario. Some coworkers of mine who are all retired, because I'm retired, as they say, from teaching, we got together. They're like, you're in town? Yeah, I'm in town. Well, let's get together. So we got together. And it was like I had a snapshot looking down on us in a way. And I realized, and I, I should have known this sooner, but I realized in that moment, you know, we got together because they love me. Huh. Imagine that. And I love them. Holy Spirit said, you're onto something here. For so many years, I had so much guilt for being overly busy, overly tired, cranky. I felt that my witness fell short with them. A lot of sermons were created Saturday night while I was sitting doing the bulletin in the church office. Never doing enough, never adequate to the task. Always falling short. Always guilty. And in that moment with those people, Holy Spirit said, listen to me, listen to this. You have one job. I've called you, you have one job. Love them. Love them. They love you. Love them. They're not a project. Nobody that we meet is a project. There's somebody who needs God's love. They're harassed. Yeah, they're helpless. They're caught in a predicament for which they have no power to get out. But what they need to know more than anything is that God loves them just as He loves us. And we need to show them that He loves them. And when the time is right, if the circumstance happens, if it comes along you just might get a chance to lead them to Jesus one day. But you might not. Because we, as we learned last week, we don't control the outcomes. God does. We just obey. 
Jesus said, greatest two commandments, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's as much as you can do, as much as it's up to you, do that. And love others. Another little legend came from the book about a young man. An older man spotted him. The young man was carrying a little boy on his back. And the gentleman said, young man, let me help you with your burden. That looks heavy. And the boy said to the man, it's no burden at all. He's my little brother. And I think that's probably where that song came from. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. I don't know. The road is long. But the point of that story, as I read it here, is it was a joy to that little boy to carry his brother. And when we understand the joy of how much God loves us and how much we love him, we can extend the joy of loving him and knowing him to others, and then loving others becomes less of a burden. So I got to substitute teach. I'm not going to give the details. I got to substitute teach this last week and a half. I can't believe I volunteered to go back in the classroom. <laughs> but they are desperate for subs, obviously. <laughs> well, the first, the first two days were in a fourth, fifth grade classroom. Pardon me. My, my wheelhouse as a teacher was fourth and fifth grade. So the first two days were easy. I mean, really pretty easy. Even though they were the opening two days of school, it's like somebody else did all the hard work. All I have to do is show up and be there with the kids. I can do this. And so I was there, and then in the meantime, um, well, I can tell you whose class I was in. I can at least do that. It was Joe Kenke's class the second time. And by the way, I do want to share this with everybody, with the Kenke family and all their kids they've gone through. They're all home now, including Brooke. And I have decided, you're getting so much stuff that the other services didn't get, and I know we're, I'm almost closing up. I have decided that Brooke is our mascot. Brooke is our mascot. So when you think things are tough, look at Brooke. She's our mascot. Yeah. When you're wondering if God's taking care of you, look at Brooke. She's our mascot. Yeah. So Brooke is our mascot now. I haven't told her yet. I don't know if she'll understand that. That's okay. Joe called me and said, hey, Greg, can you sub in my class? It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's first grade. That's not my wheelhouse. But I said, Joe, nevertheless, I told you I would. I'll do whatever you need. So I did. I subbed three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Thursday, they, Joe, I found out Joe couldn't be back yet. And so end of Wednesday, they said, hey, would you be able to sub on Thursday? And I said, really, honestly, it would be so great if you could find someone else. I, I need... <laughs> I had a good excuse. And then bivocationalism has its rewards. I need to be at my other job. See, there you go. It's so good. So I said, you know, I need to, I'd be good if I could be in the office. And they said, okay, we'll find you. So, but could you cover Friday? Because I said, I can do Mondays and Fridays. That's kind of open for me. And I said, okay, okay, I, I can do, I can do Friday. So I was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Friday in Joe's classroom. 
And I'll tell you what, you love on that man when he comes back with his family because not only has he gone through the challenge of what he's going through with his family, but he is in a tough place. First graders are hard. <laughs> now, I, would, <laughs> I know that first grade teachers think that fourth and fifth graders are impossible, but wow, I guess God just, you know what's amazing? God uses us in our giftings. Isn't that something? He does. He does. And you can't get away with saying, well, God hasn't gifted me. Yes, he has. He has. There are people that only you can speak to. There are people that only can relate to the way you might relate to them. And you're only called to love God and love them. That's your mission. Right? But it is true we need the Holy Spirit. So let's look at what love looks like. And this could challenge us. But it's the Holy Spirit that's at work within us. He works in us so that we can love others the way that he loves them. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen? I get emotional when I read those words because the emotion comes from God still working in me to be better at that. But he's showing me. So, I invite you to think differently about your mission. Think differently about the harvest Think differently about yourself as a harvester. Okay? Simple. It's possible. It's shared. And it's love. Love God, love others. And we can do this. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to pray for us. Father, I pray that these words would sink deeply into our heart. Lord, for each of us, whatever it was exactly that we needed to hear, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would make that real and alive. Lord, help us not to discount our place in the mission, but to join you in the mission. This is a possible mission. There are those that only we can love in the way that we can love them. And you've called us to that. Help us, Lord, when we fall short. Help us, Lord, when we're tired and cranky and when we, when we feel like we're not enough. Ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us to make us enough for every circumstance, every situation. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and we want to be on mission together for you. We know it's possible, and you've called us to it. Thank you, Lord. Amen.